but they did. He could have said, I'm done and I'm, I'm walking away and I'm never going to have anything to do with them at all. Humans rejected him. He could have reciprocated in kind. But instead, minutes, moments after he confronted Adam and Eve, he announced a choice that he made to Satan. Right there in Genesis chapter 3, God informed the devil that Jesus was going to come and that he would suffer a blow from Satan, but that he would also crush the devil's head. The crucifixion and the resurrection right there in the very front of your Bible. And it was a choice that God had made eons and eons ago. And throughout the pages of the scripture, we have been seeing how that choice The commitment to that choice, the drive of that choice shows up in the stories of the Bible. That the reason Jesus came was because God had orchestrated it to happen just the way that it happened. None of the events leading up to the birth of Christ were happenstance and random. None of the events of his life and ministry on this earth was happenstance and random. It was all by God's choice. All by God's plan. And it led all the way to a day that we are now commemorating and celebrating. I want you to see the video. It's all come up to this. Daybreak is almost here. It's nearly Sunday. Seven hundred years ago, a man named Isaiah wrote that the Messiah would come to Israel and be rejected and killed. Four hundred years ago, God stopped sending prophets. Thirty-three years ago, God broke his silence and an army of angels announced the birth of the Savior. Three and a half years ago, John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Three years ago, Jesus told Nicodemus that the Son of Man must be lifted up and that those who believe in him will have eternal life. One year ago, Jesus told his followers he would be killed by the Jewish leaders but that he would rise again after three days. Last Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem as the people shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Thursday night, Jesus was betrayed by one of his own and arrested. On Friday, the crowd shouted, Crucify! And the sinless Son of God was killed on a Roman cross. Jesus' disciples have been in hiding, terrified for their lives, not understanding what has happened. It's been a long two nights, but in a few seconds... The sun will rise.
And God's choice led to that. The resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, into the world. Now, probably most of you in this room today believe the biblical account of Jesus Christ. And we can agree, I think all of us, that if the resurrection actually happened as described in the Bible, it's a big deal with big implications. And for those of you who are a bit skeptical today, um, I would just request this. For the next 20 minutes, would you please consider this message with the assumption that the resurrection happened the way the Bible said that it did? Just for the next few minutes, will you go on that assumption and consider the ramifications? I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 1. We've been looking at this scripture in this series as well. It says here in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity To all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. In him we were also chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan of him. Who works out everything in conformity with his purpose of his will. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ. Might be for the praise of his glory. So Jesus died. And then he rose again three days later. Why is that relevant to us? Why is it relevant today in 2017 America? What is this day all about? Why would it be important to us? May I ask you to make this question personal to you for a few moments and ask this to yourself. Why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ important to me? I'm going to suggest to you a few things. I'm going to kind of march through this a little bit uh, because I want to respect your time and I want you to have the rest of your Easter together with families and friends. But I'm going to suggest to you, first of all, it's important because it confirms Jesus' claims. Jesus made some incredible remarks about who he was. He made claims about what he would do. He, He said some things that nobody else really said. I mean, Jesus actually looked people in the eye and told them he is the son of God. The only son of God, the savior of the world. And let me just say it to you this way. If the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen as the Bible tells us that it happened, then Jesus lied. And I know that may sound like some strong words, but let's see what the Apostle Paul had to say about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. 
More than that, we are found to be uh, false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not... If Sorry, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's what Paul says. That that if the resurrection didn't take place, then this is an exercise in futility. We're sitting here and we're singing and we're doing these, going through all these machinations for nothing if the crucifix, I'm sorry, if the resurrection didn't occur. But folks, according to the Apostle Paul, all of our eternal fate hangs on whether or not Jesus was raised from the dead. And I would add that the Lord's resurrection validates all that he stood for and all that he taught and all that he did. The resurrection happened and it validates it all. It, it confirms it all. Everything that Jesus would say about himself. The apostle Paul went on to say, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Earlier in this chapter, he verified that Jesus had been raised. Now, I want you to see these words and listen. Listen to them carefully. For I received, um, for what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to, uh, to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of our brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the the apostles and last of all he appeared to me also as one abnormally born so what we are reading is a testimony from somebody who saw Jesus after he died resurrected from the grave again he also points out that at one point Jesus was in front of 500 people brothers and sisters in Christ and and showed himself to them and there was no question in their mind that he had risen from the dead and then of course to some others may I just suggest to you that if an event happened and just one or two people on the, on earth today said something happened we tend to to believe that it happened but if 500 people were to say hey something spectacular happened and I saw it happen I was present that would convince most of us today And the fact is, Jesus did raise from the dead. And because he did, then everything that he said, all the claims he made about himself are true. You see, my friends, Jesus validated it all through the resurrection. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd. He is the son of man and the son of God. Just like he said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Exactly as he claimed he would be. He is everything he ever told us that he was. He is Christ the Lord. Everything that he taught is truth. No one can go into heaven unless they enter in through him and believe in him. So without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no basis for us to have faith in him. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, there is no basis to not have faith in him. Second thing I would suggest to you is why the, why the resurrection matters, why it's important to us today. is because it demonstrates his dominion. It demonstrates his dominion. A dear friend of his was buried and dead for four days. 
And word had come to him, and people were in mourning. Certainly Mary and Martha, the, the sisters of Lazarus, his close friend, were brokenhearted. It's an experience when we lose someone that reminds us how little control that we have over our own lives. So much happens in our lives that, that, um, we, that will happen to us whether we want to or not. It, it comes. For example, none of us have the authority to tell death that it can't take and or hold somebody that we love dear. We don't speak with that kind of authority and we cannot stop it. I still remember a beautiful warm spring day after work. I was in my 20s, so I had energy back then, okay, just so you know. So even after working hard all day, my brother and I, who was a year older than I am, did what we often did. This is the kind of thing we were uh, about when we uh, were hanging out together. My brother and I went to uh, my house, and we were sipping on some iced tea, and we decided it's just so nice outside. Let's go out, and here's a tennis ball. Let's let's have one stand by the, the shed and have a stick in his hand and one will pitch the tennis ball and the other one will try to hit a home run. OK. And so, of course, we beamed each other. Of course we did. OK. But that's just how we were. And we're two, two regnet guys. You know, here we are in our 20s and, and we're fooling around. And that's what we were doing, enjoying a pretty day and having a good time, laughing at each other when we left marks on each other's bodies from the ball, hitting them. And, you know, we were just doing that. I, I laughed because my I could throw it hard enough. My brother couldn't get out away in time oh we were having a great time and my phone rang and this is a day before cell phones yes i'm that old uh it was a day before cell phones and it was a uh the windows were open i heard my phone going off in the house and i i still remember running to the house saying wait a minute alex i better get that i i still have this thing about me if a phone rings i think i need to answer it so i ran him and i picked up the phone and um on the other line was my sister and she was in tears and panicking and told me that my five-year-old little nephew was out riding his big wheel. And he rode right into the path of a 16-year-old boy who had done nothing wrong. This poor kid had just gotten his license and he was obeying all the laws. But my nephew just was having so much fun he kind of didn't concentrate. And he went right out into the path and got run over. And I remember that a few minutes later, it, it wasn't that much long, long after that phone call that I was in a hospital looking down at the body of my little five-year-old nephew being kept alive by drugs and machines. And I remember, of course, how heartbroken my sister, the boy's mother, was. And I remember standing there realizing how helpless I was. Here I am, a minister. I was a, a, um, a, a person who went out and I preached. I was studying for the ministry and I was licensed. Here I am, a minister, and I'm looking down at this little boy and there is zero that I can do to help him. I have that authority. I wasn't able to say to death, you can't have him. I couldn't stop it. And there are those times when things happen to us that are beyond us and we don't have dominion. But I need to tell you something. Jesus does. Jesus has dominion. And on the day that Jesus was standing in front of the grave of his friend who had been buried for four days, Jesus was able to resurrect Lazarus from the dead because he has dominion. Even over the mighty power of death itself. 
And what a powerful thing it is when, when Martha says to him, Lord, I know, I'm sorry, Mary says to him, I know on the great resurrection day, Lord, that my brother will live again. Jesus looked at her and he corrected her in love and he says, but what you don't understand, and here's, I'm going to fast forward. There is a resurrection day coming when Jesus will, in, in the power of his voice, call dead people up to life again. And they will resurrect and they will come to light because of the voice of the Lord. But the, what he said to her that day, you don't understand, Mary, that I am the resurrection. So I don't have to wait for resurrection day. I can speak right now and Lazarus is coming out. And that's exactly what happened. Folks, Jesus has dominion over everything. His resurrection shows that not even death has power over him. The grave cannot hold him. And Jesus um, Jesus rose again. And that's what his uh, resurrection says to us. That even death cannot hold it. He has that dominion. He has that power. And although there are a lot of aspects of our lives that we have no control of. A lot of things that we cannot prevent or put off or change. Jesus is over it all. It's all under his control. It's all under him. Christ's resurrection more than 2,000 years ago matters today because we have someone to bring our anxieties and our circumstances to who rules over it all. I love his title, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's who he is, my friends. And it was Jesus who said in John 3.31, he was speaking of himself, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He is God. And so he is over everything that is over us. So if you're battling under something that is controlling, if you're battling something that puts you in bondage, please remember whatever it is that is over you is under Jesus Christ. He has dominion over it all. That's what the resurrection says. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ, let alone the person of Jesus Christ. He has power over it all. And so there's nothing that can be over you. There's nothing that can control you that does isn't, isn't under the dominance, if you will, under the authority of Jesus Christ. And I love that. And if you are a believer today, please know that nothing will happen to you that God doesn't allow. He can stop it. And he has the power. He's over it all. I preached about that on Friday night, that he is a deliverer. And that he, what he did, uh, he did to deliver people from the power of sin, even sin, is, is not able to conquer Jesus. He conquered that too. The resurrection matters because we need his righteousness. We need it. The whole point of Jesus coming to this, this world and becoming a human being is literally to bring God to man. I've used this example before, so please bear with me because it's the best example I know. If you go in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19 and 20, you're going to see a remarkable thing happen there. The Israelites have been delivered from the tyranny of the Egyptians. God has delivered them and they are on the move. Where they are going is they are on their way to the promised land that God said they would live in, that God said they would be uh, be able to settle in. But right now they're on the move. 
And so I want you to kind of uh, envision in your mind a large, large mountainous, deserted kind of area and about a million people camping out in tents in front of a mountain, Mount Sinai. God has had them on the move and the Israelites had set up camp and they're right in front of Mount Sinai. And the Lord decided that he was going to 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 literally speak to the people of Israel, all of the people. Prior to this, Moses had heard from God and Moses took the message. But God felt like this is a time when they need to hear from me personally. And so God tells these some million strong people, and I'm sure it felt like exciting news to them when they heard it, when Moses said to them, listen, um, for the next three days, consecrate yourself. Wash your clothes, wash yourselves, get yourselves ready because God's coming to us and he's going to speak to us. First of all, can I camp on that for just a second? What would we do? It's all of a sudden, you know, if we, we said, listen, come to Gospel Chapel and just sit down because God himself is going to show up. And God himself is going to talk to us, okay? Now, some of us are going, oh, that would be awesome. Hang on a second, okay? So, God being God, he kept his word. And so, here they are. They're camping out in front of this mountain. And early in the morning, as the day is breaking, suddenly their sleep is interrupted by the trumpet blast of the Lord's presence. Can I just say this to you? God shows up in the, and the trumpets begin to blast, okay? And I'm reminded, and I'm, I'm fast-forwarding, Scripture tells us the trumpet's going to blow again one day when Jesus comes back. That's just announcing God is here. That's all that was. So they're asleep, and all of a sudden, bah, this real loud trumpet blast. And it just goes on and on, and it gets louder and louder and louder. It is intense. It wakes them up. It startles them. I mean, it, it's it's like they had never heard anything like this in their lives before. They hear this loud trumpet blast that's growing in intensity. They they look out of their tents to see what's going on. They look at the mountain that they are they are camped in front of, and they look up, and God has ascended down on that mountain, and there's a thick black. It, it looks like smoke. It's a cloud that, that shrouds the presence of the Lord. See, they couldn't look at God. They didn't know it yet. But they couldn't have looked at God. They would have died on the spot. So all God was going to do is let his voice come out. But God came onto that mountain. And then the mountain began to quake violently and shake like crazy. And the description is, it looked like smoke rising up to the sky like smoke out of a furnace. Can you go there for just a second and imagine you're camping. You hear the loud trumpet blast of the Lord. You see the rumbling. You go. You see the mountain dancing and and staggering like a drunk man. And I just have to tell you something. That would get your attention. Okay? Something's going on there that's pretty intense at that moment. And so the people were out there and they began to go, oh, maybe this isn't so much fun. And they began to be intimidated by God. Now, let me say this to you. We need to understand this is not God showing off. If he wanted to scare people, he could do it. God wasn't coming to scare them. This is just God showing up. God is so much more awesome than you and I can ever think or imagine. It's why we can't look at him and live in these bodies. And so he came and he shrouded his presence. And when he spoke... Just a few words to the people. They went to Moses and said, please tell God to stop talking. 
It's too awesome. It's too frightening. Please tell him. Just talk to you. And we'll listen. That's how intense it is to be in the presence of the Lord God. And so the day that God showed up on earth and just was God, people were terrified and they wanted to hide. That is why it's such a significant thing to me that Jesus Christ stripped all of his glory. He came to the world and he became a human being. Yes, he was God, but understand that he chose to, to submit to the power and, and tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, another part of the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus performed all those miracles. He stripped his Godhood in that sense. Not who he was, but just the power. And he tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit. And can you imagine all that Jesus did? He did feeling things like we do. He felt tired, sick, scared. All those things that human beings go through. Yet he was God. What a powerful and wonderful thing he did. And when he went to the cross, my friends, it was all part of the choice. I've been saying this over and over and over again. God chose that a long time before it ever happened. And so this Jesus goes to the cross and because he was sinless, he was able to bring God to man. And I said this the other night when I was serving communion on Thursday night. It was the Thursday before his crucifixion that Jesus instituted the whole uh, beautiful sacrament of communion or the Lord's Supper. And I had sometimes wondered why. Why would the Lord have us eat bread that, that is his flesh and drink blood, if you will, drink uh, the wine that represents his blood? I, I had wondered about that for a while. And it occurs to me that this is part of what he did. Before Jesus Christ and before he rose from the dead, the way people related to God was that God showed up. God was present. God was around them. God was with them. And it was a, a, a if individual to an individual relationship. But because of what Jesus did, God became the God that comes inside and dwells inside. So when we consume that bread and that wine, this is, the, this is the new thing. It's the new covenant. Jesus lives in us and we become the temple of the living God. And I need him in me. I need his righteousness if I'm going to know God. I want you to know that he's not just God around you. He's God in you if you know him. He's inside of you doing what Jesus alone can do. And I need his righteousness and you need his righteousness. And God being God and people being people, we couldn't bear his presence until God did what he did. Till Jesus did all he did. He did rise again. Jesus is God and by his word... Is the one, he, he, he is the one through whom we gain forgiveness of our sins and right standing with God. We need it. To have a right relationship with God, we need Jesus. And that's why you will hear this preacher say without apology, there is no other way to God except Jesus Christ. There is just no other way. And there is no other God but our God. And that is not me putting people down. It is me stating what is true. People can't get to God unless they go through Jesus Christ. And when I need forgiveness, I come to Jesus. And I ask for it and I turn away from my, the things that offend him. I turn away from my sin 
to pursue a relationship with him. Jesus is faithful to forgive me. And faithful to cleanse me of all the unrighteousness of me. And give me his. Powerful. Finally. Crucifixion means is meaningful to us today because it validates Christ's love. And I want to say something to you, my friend. You and I need nothing more than we need the love of God in our lives. There's nothing else that we need more than that. We need his righteousness, but we need his love. And I'm so glad that he freely gives it. He's just poised to do it. Can you pay attention, very close attention to me for just a few moments, these words that I'm about to say? Some of us here need to put down our walls and our self-sufficiency and just let Jesus in. Some of us in this room need to know what it is like to have his forgiveness and need to know what it is like to have that terrible weight of our sins and guilt taken away, removed by Jesus. Some of us need to place our heartaches, the shattered pieces of our lives, our tangled up lives at his feet. And say, Lord, I need your love. I'm going to say this to you. I don't mean this unkindly to anybody in your life. But I'm going to say that nobody loves you like he loves you. Nobody. Nobody cares as much for you as Jesus cares for you. So we need to experience a God-sized love. God-sized mercy. A God-sized relationship with Jesus. And some of us need to bring the life that is overwhelming us with all of the bondage and pain and dominion over us. We need to bring that to Jesus and let Jesus overwhelm it with his authority and dominion and power and set us free. Why does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead more than 2,000 years ago? Because it has major implications for us today. It has major implications for you. Now, if there is anybody here ready to accept the offer of Jesus to forgive your sins, if you are ready to purposely turn away from your life as it is now and pursue a new life in Jesus, you can do so through a sincere prayer to him today. I'm going to lead you, church, in a prayer in just a moment. And as I pray, I'm requesting something from every single one of you. I'm going to ask that we all as a group repeat what I pray out loud. That's what I'm asking you to do. All of us do it together. I'm asking for us to do that. And I'm asking you to be very respectful to the people next to you because somebody may be making this their prayer today. They may be calling on God and saying, Oh God, this is my heart. This is what I need today. If there is someone here who has already made a decision to accept the Lord's offer of forgiveness, but along the way you turned away. Along the way, sin came back into your life and there's, there's, you're in bondage again. If you now want his mercy and you want to be restored in your relationship with Jesus, when I lead in prayer, I will also pray on your behalf. And again, when I do that, I ask the entire congregation to pray the prayer behind me out loud, to repeat it after me, again, with respect for one another. So I'm going to ask that we begin to pray. Um, If you will just get in a posture, and if you will please do me a favor and begin to prepare your hearts. 
And again, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to join in and repeat after me, okay? So let me begin, and then I'll tell you when to pray behind me. Heavenly Father, we come to your throne this blessed morning, and we come with thanksgiving and and with appreciation for the kindness and mercy that you show to us. And we pray to you today in the name of Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, the one and only Savior. We are seeking an audience with our Lord, and we pray, Father, that you will please hear us. And now, if you would please repeat after me, congregation, Lord God, I believe that the Bible is your word. And I believe what it says about you. And I believe what it says about Jesus. Today, I want to accept your offer to forgive me. Please cleanse me from all my sins. And adopt me into your family. I am ready to leave my old ways to follow you. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your mercy. I ask you to make me right with you. By faith, I receive your gift of love and eternal life in Jesus' name. And now, Heavenly Father, please hear the prayers of those who are returning back to you. Again, congregation, please repeat this prayer. Heavenly Father, I once came to you and sought your mercy. I once asked you to forgive my sins and adopt me into your family. I know that you were faithful to do just that. But I have not been faithful to you. I return to sin. And I know that offends you. I need your forgiveness, Lord. I confess my backsliding. And I pray you will restore me. I want to follow you. And I want to honor you. Father, by faith. I receive your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I thank you for loving me more than I deserve. In Jesus' name.